So today, we begin this series, and what, what we want to do is focus on the gifts that He has given. The gifts He's given. Now, I want to challenge us. I want you to hear that challenge us, not you, not just me. I want to challenge us throughout the rest of this year to focus on that which God has already done. I am making a commitment to wake up in the morning, every morning, and before, uh, before I do any task, before I check any email, before I check Facebook, before I check anything, I want to make a commitment. I know this may sound trivial to some of us, but to just wake up, take whatever time I can, 5, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, take whatever time I can at that moment to sit in the presence of God and just celebrate the gifts that God has given you ever remember when you were a kid that you received a toy and you were so excited you couldn't wait to get up in the morning to play with that toy? Remember that? How much more valuable are the things that God has given? So what I want to do is get up in the morning and take all the things that God has given me. I want to take this time, starting this week, and I want to challenge you. I want to welcome you to do this with me. To just wake up in the morning and give thanks to God for all that he's given. New life. New mercy, second chances, third chances, fourth chances, right? Anybody with me, right? Let's just, let's just take the time to think of the cross, the holy of holies, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our lives. I want, you, I want to challenge you to do this with me, okay? And, and so this is... This is for real now. I want you, before you do anything in the day, before you fulfill any task, to get up in the morning and think, think about God's goodness and give Him thanks for that. I think it's extremely vital for us. I think it's so important for our spiritual growth. If we're ever going to be free from the pleasures of this world and from gratifying the flesh, I believe that part of that comes with giving thanks to God for what He's already done. I want to start my day feeding on the presence of God because I know that only He can satisfy. So my prayer for you and I throughout this holiday season is that we would be a people marked by contentment. That we would be a content people. So I want us to look at the definition of contentment and I want you to get a vision for life. I want you to think, what if life would be this way? What if I lived my life Content. I want you to look at this definition. Let's go to that slide. Contentment is to live with rest or quietness of the mind. Have you ever like had one of those days where your mind's going crazy, you know, and you're like, you're like, shut up. And you're talking to yourself out loud, but there's somebody in the room. They're like, what you say? And you're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was having a moment. Rest or quietness of the mind. You don't have to confess or raise your hand. Rest or quietness of the mind in the present condition. Meaning that in the present circumstance, whether good or bad, you still have rest and quietness of mind. Satisfaction which holds the mind in peace. Restraining complaint. In other words, you know what? I know I can complain if I wanted to, but I'm not interested. I'm content where I'm at. Being willing to restrain complaints. How many of y'all have friends you wish they had a willingness to restrain complaints? Okay, wait, wait, come. 
Don't look at your don't look at don't look at the person next to you. Whatever you do, look at me. Okay. How many of y'all know that you have friends that wish you would restrain your complaints? Okay, I'm gonna move I'm gonna move away from that one. <laughs> restraining complaints, opposition, or further desire. In other words, restraining desire. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't desire for more. Is that you recognize that having more is not going to satisfy. So you restrain it. And often implying a moderate degree of happiness. And I love that. It often implies that you have a moderate degree of happiness. And we Christians, we should live with a moderate degree of happiness. We should be happy. Why? Because God is good to us here. He's so good, right? But we're not completely happy because that happens in eternity. We can't wait, right? We're like in the airplane, I mean on the airport, and we got our bags packed, and we can't wait to get to the Disneyland, right? But it's like better than Disneyland. But we're moderate happy because we're on our way. Anybody with me? We have the joy of the Lord. We know that God is good here. We are experiencing this presence of God, but we can't wait till we get there because that's when it's for real. You know? Imagine if we live life this way. Imagine the kind of relationships you'll have with your children, your husband, your wife, with your coworkers, even the ones that get on your nerves. Imagine what contentment would do if we lived, if we made a decision to live content lives. And that's my prayer for you. Now, that's much better than chasing after what never satisfies And what often, after we attain it, brings much grief to our lives. Listen, contentment is much better than chasing after what doesn't satisfy, which oftentimes, after we have it, just brings grief. You know, the car we buy with that impossible note that we shouldn't have had? Right? All right. The Bible says this about contentment and the lack thereof, thereof. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And typically we say we think rich and we ascribe a certain number of money. We say, well, those who want to be millionaires. But let's redefine that. Those who constantly live their lives for the next big thing for them. You know, for somebody that could be a smartphone, for somebody that could be a certain bank account, a certain stock, for somebody that may be a certain relationship, who knows? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money or the love of gain is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or many sorrows. This is what the opposite of contentment does. Now, I'm going to confess it to you. There's a craving in me that's demonic, that always desires for more. And I'll confess it for you. There's a craving in you that's demonic, that's always wanting for more. You're human. That battle is there. But we don't have to give ourselves to those cravings. We can give those to Jesus. Amen. 
and allow Him to satisfy us, we can live our lives in contentment. We do not want our lives to be marked by loving gains. We want our lives to be marked by the contentment that God desires for us to have. We want to live contented. A state of, it is well with my soul. So what I want to do is talk about the gifts that God has already given us. Because I think that if we focus on the gifts that God has provided, it's going to give us the vision to live, to live in contentment, even when things don't work out. Because for believers, sometimes things don't work out. But in the midst of things not working out in trials and in grief and in sorrow, we can have contentment. Why? Because we're focusing on the great things that God has already done. And today I want to begin by speaking of one of the greatest gifts that God has given us that has become one of the mother, the mother of all bad words. I want to talk to you about something that is almost, it is almost like a cuss word today. I want to talk to you about this great gift that God has given us, and that's the gift of repentance. Repentance. People hear the word repentance and they get all kinds of crazy. <laughs> repentance. You know, somebody hears repentance and all of a sudden they get nervous. But repentance is an incredible gift that we have. And I want to dive in, in, in understanding this deal of repentance. And what I want to do is look at one of the most radical representations of repentance found in Matthew chapter 3. And I want to read there. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 1 on down tells us about John the Baptist, and it reads this way. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In other words, 750 years before John the Baptist was born, there was a man, Isaiah, who said there will be somebody preaching in the wilderness, preparing people for the return of Christ. Okay, And this is the prophet, uh, John the Baptist, that Isaiah the prophet prophesied about 750 years before this. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then, then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm thinking that's not a compliment. You know, back in the days, they had this belief about uh, vipers. That vipers, uh, um, um, they, they had this belief that vipers, uh, the way that they were birthed, that they would eat, their, that, that they would eat away at their mothers, and then uh, they, they would just be so vicious towards each other. And they had this mental picture as John is describing them as a brood of vipers. Not nice. Therefore, bear fruit, you brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Talking about God's judgment. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's a powerful scripture, ain't it? Lord, thank you for revealing this word to us. Give us clarity. Lord, allow us to celebrate the gifts that you've given us. And Lord, allow me to declare this word with anointing and to receive it as well. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, as we read this portion of scripture, I want you to notice the man that delivers this message, John the Baptist. And I will say that John the Baptist is a picture of a life that is content before God. I mean, check out the way the man lived. First, he lived in the wilderness. The wilderness in the Bible is always described as a place of testing, described as a middle ground, a place of transition, described as a place that you cannot really plant or get comfortable in. It's just a wilderness. Yet John the Baptist was so content in God that he lived his life in the wilderness. He ate only what was available and necessary. You know, eating grasshoppers flavored with honey, I'm like going to pass, right? His apparel was not the source of his influence. It's obvious that he didn't dress and eat the way that he wanted. It wasn't, he wasn't doing this to gain some kind of uh, position of influence or whatnot. He was doing the bare minimum in order to live for God. This is a, a, a picture of contentment. His life was marked by fasting. At one point, the disciples of Jesus uh, are approaching. They said, uh, somebody, uh, the Pharisees asked, how come you guys don't fast? Or the disciples of John asked, how come you guys don't fast? The disciples of John fast. Why don't you fast? And, uh, and so we see that John the Baptist there, is, his life was marked by continual denial of the flesh. He remained humble. Talk about a man moved by God. All of Israel was coming to him to be baptized. All of Israel. I will say this. John the Baptist was more highly regarded than Jesus Christ himself in the scriptures. And I want you to notice he didn't let that get to his head. Instead, hey man, when he comes, I'm not even worthy of taking off his sandal. Humility comes in contentment. There isn't an account of compromise in his life. And he didn't have a blinding ambition that kept him from recognizing who the Messiah was. These are very important things. I think that John the Baptist, the person who delivered this message, was a picture of contentment, a person who lived in contentment. Then I want you to realize this message. John was preaching repentance, but he was preaching a repentance for life, not just for a moment. Now I want you to notice that the culture was kind of driven to do, they, they, they perform sacrifices, and, and these sacrifices will cover sins so that they will be forgiven by God, right? And so this is kind of part of the culture to do all these rituals, to do all these sacrifices in order to be in right standing with God. And John kind of got right to the heart of the issue, and he's not saying, you know, go do your rituals. He's not saying go re- repent after your sin. He's saying do away with sin, period. Make up in your mind that sin in, is bad, Throw it out. Get rid of it completely and live a holy life. This is totally radical. 
He was preaching, as if it were, the message of old of Joel, who said, rend your hearts and not your garments. said, stop being so religious and doing all the religious stuff when your heart's a mess. Stop acting religious and singing praise in the church of God and speaking in tongues and all that good stuff when your heart is corrupt. Right? Saying he's calling people so strongly and so passionately. He's saying, get rid of sin now. Not just for this moment, not just for the service. Make up your mind to be holy. The Lord is coming. This was really radical. People were coming from all over to get baptized and repent of their sins. Secondly, I want you to notice something. Another thing I want you to notice about this is this. The scriptural repentance is always tied to an event. When you look in the Old Testament, when the prophets would call people to repent, they were being called to repent that they would escape the judgment of God. The judgment of God would be that event. Repent or this will happen. When you look at the New Testament and you look here, he is making ready. Repentance is tied to what? To, the re- to Jesus coming. So he's calling people to repentance for what event? The Messiah coming. Isn't that incredible? Right? Prepare the way. And you and I now, we're called to repentance and to live a life of repentance. Why? Because Jesus is coming back for his church. Are you with me? Repentance is always tied to an expectation. And that expectation could be good or bad. If I don't repent doesn't look so favorable to me. If I do repent, things look really good. Scriptural repentance is always tied to an event. Now, scriptural repentance is like riding a bike. Anybody remember when you first got your bike? Your first bike? I got so excited I had this little red BMX bike. Right, Dominican Republic got this little Rex BMX bike, and I lived in the circle, and, and, and you know, a cul-de-sac per se. That all, you know, I can just go in circle, and my parents can see exactly where I'm at. And I tell you, I couldn't wait to get on that bike and start riding. And with the training wheels, I was a champ. You know, I was like, <laughs> I'm the boss, right? But when I took those training wheels out, off and I started going into cars and banging my knee, there was a love-hate relationship with this bike. You know, it's like, this is hurting. So is repentance. Repentance, a life of repentance is being trained to live a life that's done away with sin. You know, there are victorious moments where we feel the presence of God and we're just walking in victory. And there are moments where we're scraping our knees and we got to get back up again and keep fighting and get back up again and keep fighting and get back up again because there's a resolve in our hearts that says, I am done with sin. Right? Scriptural repentance is like riding a bike. God has given us the free will to choose for or against him. God has offered us his salvation and eternal life. That life begins by repentance. God offers it and we choose to discipline ourselves that our lives will bear fruit with repentance. Now this is what's the most offensive thing about repentance. The implications of repentance are big. Repentance is something culturally forbidden today because it is the opposite of today's form of tolerance. Let me talk to you about this. Truly, today's tolerance is nothing more than just deviation from the truth in order to accommodate and welcome practices that God has forbidden. I'm going to repeat that again. 
tolerance today is nothing more than just deviation from the truth in order to accommodate and welcome practices that God has forbidden. I have to say that this is obvious in the world, and this is what the devil is doing with secular tolerance. But again, I'm not talking about the world. I want to talk to the church right now. We have to avoid personally tolerating sins in our lives, tolerating things that deviate us from the truth, and accommodate things in our lives that we're like, we're okay with. You know what I'm saying? The things we call white lies, whatever that is. The times when we say, well, I know I do this bad, but if you look at Jojo, (laughs) I'm a champ. I am the picture of righteousness compared to her. You know, deviation from the truth in order to accommodate sin in our lives. Praise God, we don't do this here. I just wanted to just an example. We have to avoid this false tolerance that is really a deviation from the truth. Now back to repentance. The reason why I believe repentance has risen to the top of all unacceptable things to say is because of the implications of repentance. Repentance implies that we are all wrong. Repentance implies that God is right. And that there will be accountability one day for the way that we live our lives. Now if repentance is necessary, then the pursuit of happiness is not the purpose of life. Listen to me. If repentance is necessary, then it means that we do not live for our personal happiness. Because let me tell you, some of us, if we did whatever we wanted, it would be extremely sinful. It will make us happy for the moment, but it will be extremely sinful. Repentance implies that our hearts are wicked. What we want is not good. We need to nail it to the cross. God is righteous. We need to repent and line up to his word means there are things in our hearts and things that we desire that are not good. Amen? If repentance is necessary, if repentance is necessary, then we have to accept that reality about our hearts and our desires. Repentance repentance is an earth-shattering truth that is vulgar to those who love the works of darkness. In other words, if I like living the way that I live, and I don't want God to get in my business, don't talk to me about repentance. However, repentance is far more beautiful than that. Because repentance implies that there is a God who has made a way for us to know Him and have eternal life in Him. Repentance implies that He is the God of second chances. Repentance implies that we are not out of the reach of God's love. Repentance implies... That we can have eternal life. Now, I'll stop with this. Repentance in itself means this. You and I are badly broken. We're damaged goods. Even before we recognized it. And God knew this. And God in His loving kindness made a way for us to be saved. In order for us to be saved and to respond to eternity and to the goodness of God, you know what we have to do? We We have to acknowledge, God, I'm in the wrong and you're in the right. And so the definition of repentance is putting our faith in Christ. This is how I would define it. Putting our faith in Christ so much so that we turn away from our sins. 
and we turn to a life of obeying the commands of God. Now, repentance is a gift. It's not bad. It's a gift. Repentance is the beginning of everything good from God. No, the beginning is God's grace, his kindness that should lead us to respond to God, right? And how do we respond to repentance? And that's a gift in itself that we can repent before God, right? And as we repent and turn to him, then all of a sudden we enter into a covenant with God where instead of being paid death, we're paid eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Christ gives us eternal life. I want you to think about that. I said this just a couple weeks ago. Sin pays one currency, and it's death. We can be paid minimum wage, or we can have a hefty salary. Okay? Listen to me. Eventually, you're going to end up at the same place. If we allow ourselves to live our lives for the sins that entice our hearts, whether it be minimum wage, a little at a time, or whether it be the big sins, whatever we consider that to be, sin pays the same currency, death. But praise God for his son. says, you don't have to live under the bondage of sin. You don't have to get paid by that currency. Put your faith in me, obey my commands, and have eternal life. Repentance is good. Repentance is good. Would you stand with me today? John the Baptist stood in that wilderness and he preached repentance. Prepare the way. Repentance is always about our souls being right before God. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Repentance. When we hear repentance, we should, we should, we should have feelings of joy and of thanksgiving because we live in a time where God is merciful and God is receiving us into his kingdom through repentance. Repentance is so vital. Living a life of repentance is so vital, whether you're a new believer in Christ or you've never repented or, or, or if you've been in the church for years, living repentance is so vital. And so I, today as we're here today, I want to welcome you right now to just pray. If, if, if you would close your eyes with me, if that helps you pray better, I welcome you to do so. I just want you to ask yourself this question. Number one. Have you repented of your sins before God? Have you recognized? Have you recognized that you're in need of God's grace and mercy and that your own goodness will not take you into eternity? Are you here today realizing you need to be saved? I want to tell you it's possible for you to be saved because Jesus Christ died on the cross so that whoever turns away from their sins, put their faith in Jesus, will be saved. So if you're here today and you're saying, I want to give my life to Christ. I want this eternal life. I realize that I'm in the wrong and God is right. And I want to receive his salvation and live for him. I want to make that commitment today. If that's you, right where you're at, would you raise your hands? 
Amen. I see your hands. I see your hands. Amen. Amen. I see your hands. Amen. Lord, right now, look at the countless hands that have raised their hands today at this church. People who say, I repent of my sins. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to live for the Lord and obey his commands. Lord, right now, I thank you that your word says that those who repent, you forgive them of their sins because you wash them. You wash them in your blood and you cleanse them and you don't remember their sins anymore. And today, as those brothers and sisters who just raised their hands and said, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to the Lord today. I thank you that today, God, you've cleansed them, that you have forgiven them, God, and that you've written their names in the Lamb's book of life as they've committed themselves to live for you and you alone. I thank you, God, that they would not only experience this repentance, God, but that they would live it all the rest of their lives. I thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, one more altar call. Maybe you're here today. You've been a Christian for a long time. But you recognize today that repentance has been sporadic for you and not consistent. Maybe you realize today that there are sins that you've allowed in your life and you've grown comfortable with. And you realize that there's deviations from the truth in your life that show that you're not living a lifestyle of repentance. But today you're saying, that's it, it's done with. I'm committing again to living a life of repentance before God, turning away from sin. Even if I scrape my knee, I'm going to get back up again and keep fighting. If that's you today, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Right where you're at. Yes, Lord. So many of us. So many of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Oh, thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that now as we raise our hands and we acknowledge, God, we've crunched, we've grieved your Holy Spirit, we've walked away from living a life of repentance, but now we receive that gift again. We take it up, we repent, God, and turn to you. Oh, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to strengthen us to live godly, holy lives for your name and for your glory. Thank you, God, that you would also put a seal in us to hate sin, to hate unrighteousness, to do away with it, to hate unrighteous relationships, to do away with it. Oh, God, do it in us. If that's you, you've raised your hand today for any of these uh, altar calls, and you want us to partner with you and pray. Would you come to the altar right now? i love to pray with you. You're here and you're saying, I want to make a public confession of the things we pray for. I want to make a commitment before the body that I am living a life of repentance before God. I'm done with sin today. Would you come to the altar right now? Altar workers, would you come right now to the altar? Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Can you clap your hands for the victory we have in Jesus today? Can you bless him today? Amen. Amen. Will the altar workers come up right now? Let's pray before God today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for repentance. Hallelujah. Thank you for repentance. Today, I wake up to new mercy and new kindness, God, because you're good. I take this gift and I pray, God, fill me with that first love again, with that first passion and first joy again. Fill it in our church body. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. Oh, God, that we would walk in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Think of the Lord's goodness this week. and grace of repentance. We're going to be praying here at the altar if you need prayer.
Jesus. 